0: Welcome to the Brain Soul Success Show, where we learn, explore, and create your powerful positive healing for life. I'm your host, Louise Schwartzwalter. I'm the creator of a five-part mind-body-soul methodology that clears the subconscious blocks to success. From engaging transformational interviews, brain-soul success stories, and the secrets shared by brain and spiritual experts, you will... Reconnect, revitalize, and transform your powerful life. It's time for you. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Brain Soul Success Show. I'm super excited to be with my guest today, Trisha Nelson. Her program is Heal Your Hunger. I know you have a great story to share with us how you even got to even doing this amazing work that you're doing now,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> my, my mess is my message.
0: <laughs> so your mess is your message. I love that, I love that. So um, I'll briefly introduce you and then let you kind of take it away. I know we'll go through okay. some questions today and really help our audience understand, you know, what's behind Heal Your Hunger? and more about emotional eating. Great. Yeah. Wow. And talk about the timing of this. <laughs> it's perfect. Yes. It's absolutely perfect. But I know that you lost 50 pounds by identifying right and healing those underlying causes of your own emotional eating, but you spent 30 years. So you've got a lot of years in this Yeah. researching those hidden causes of that addictive personality You're an emotional eating expert, you're the number one best-selling author of a book called Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now, and you certify health coaches so that they can get better results and referrals, so you really took it a step further, didn't you, Tricia?
1: Well, I have an amazing system that, you know, is, is so useful and it's, and it really nails it. So I just want, you know, I, I I can only do so much myself. So I want to share it with, you know, coaches out there who are working with people who struggle with food and weight so we can really have more people get the healing benefit.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Absolutely. So I know you're helping so many other people by, by spreading that message through your own coaches, right? Yes. And you host your own show too, the Heal Your Hunger Show. Um, and you're a, a speaker, you know, an author. You've been featured on several TV shows, NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and Discovery Health. So what a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure for me as well yeah, this is awesome. You know, so what was that, you know, journey into emotional eating that led you to even start heal your hunger?
1: Yeah, heal your hunger is driven, absolutely driven. It's my mission. And it's driven by the pain that I personally felt from being an emotional eater, which I didn't know I was, you know, and, um, and, but really just, it, it, that wasn't the painful part. The painful part was the weight, you know, having weight on my body that I couldn't release no matter what I tried. So I'm one of these people that, you know, really from early age, um, I was obsessed with food. So I love to eat. I love to cook. I love to serve food to others, go out to restaurants. It was you know, I was one of these foodies. So for a long time, I thought that was the beginning and end of it. I just like food. But the problem was I did have this weight issue and I had this roll in my tummy that I would scrunch up between my hands and, and thank God it's like, if only I could get this roll off my stomach, you know, and I, and I, I actually had this thought, um, at one point where, you know, how you, uh, can slice fat off the side of a steak you yes. know like that rim of fat and I thought well this is just fat why can't I just slice it off <laughs> you know so thank god I didn't try that and um but that was kind of evidence of how desperate I felt like mm-hmm. I also had the thought gee maybe I'll get some disease you know I'm pre-pandemic times of course but you know maybe I'll get some disease where I automatically lose weight or maybe I'll join the army and I'll be forced to go through boot camp and I'll lose weight that way because I hate to exercise so some pretty outlandish thoughts about my weight and how to get the weight off because I had tried so many diets you know it's the the thing you first turn to Mm -hmm. as you diet and and yet I had tried so many and even though they worked for a time I would lose weight for a time but I always put it back on. I was a yo-yo where I'd be up 20, down 10, up 30, down 20, up five, you know, struggle with five for like a whole summer, you know? And so, um, I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet because you never knew, I never knew what size I was going to be. And I was always holding out for those, you know, skinny jeans in the back collecting dust. <laughs> so, um, that was kind of how it went for me. And, at some point I just thought to myself, you know, after I'd lost a, a good amount of weight um, and, and, you know, when you're on this way down, you always think I got it. Like now I got it. Like now, no, we really got it now. And then it doesn't take long of being to go weight before you start putting back on again. And that's what was happening to me. is I, I could see the writing was on the wall. I'm about to do one more trip up the scale. And I thought to myself, I can't do this. Like, I can't possibly spend the rest of my life going up and down the scale. So it was kind of a moment of clarity for me. Mm -hmm. And what happened after that is I met somebody who was able to help me and mentor me to address and heal the underlying causes. And that turned everything around for me. And I've, I've been in a thin body ever since, over 30 years um and and what I did is I started working with my mentor to help other people and so I've literally been doing this work for over 30 years I did found heal your hunger about 4 years ago however because I really you know I was working with people with addictive personalities, not necessarily food, but I really wanted to focus on the emotional eating because I know that that's really the crux of the problem for so many people. You know, so many people are doing the diets and the pills and potions and lotions and, you know, exercise programs. And, you know, for me, I even went deeper. I did therapy. I went to an eating disorders therapist twice a, a week for a year, Uh t- Twelve-step programs, self-help books. So I was not a slouch. I was really going at it, and yet everything I tried again just left me empty-handed because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't lose it and keep it off.
0: Wow, you did you did a lot of work, and uh, and so there must be some yeah. secrets that you have. You know, when I think about addictions and being a food addict, what are some of those symptoms, or maybe what are the things people can like? even within looking within themselves would be like a sign that they're going in that direction, that they do have this addiction personality and it's related to food. Absolutely. And you
1: know, the thing about emotional eating is that um, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing where you think, you know, you just like food. Like I said, like, Oh, I just like food, but really, you know, there, it was, it wasn't that simple and you know my experience is uh anybody who struggles chronically with food and weight is usually an emotional eater so what I call it is a, as I say, it's a spectrum. Okay. So in my experience, Louise, I think everybody's an emotional eater. I think we're hardwired to have an emotional connection with food, starting with breastfeeding as a kid and having that bonding experience, which I didn't have, by the way, my mom did not breastfeed us, but, but, but typically, you know, there's some kind of emotional reaction Mm -hmm. to foods that feel good or for, you know, nourishment and, and, Foods that taste good, so there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all have that. In which case, everybody goes overboard now and then. Um, so, what's the difference between an emotional eater and somebody who's really addicted? And so, I see it like on the low end of the spectrum is emotional eating. On the high end of the spectrum is food addiction. And I actually have a quiz on my website that people can take. It's like a three-minute. Free quiz, which will tell you exactly where you are on that spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. and then you you're better informed on what steps to take. Yeah, if you go to healyourhunger.com, you'll you'll you see that quiz right away. So, you know, knowing where you are in that spectrum mm-hmm. is so helpful. And, and where somebody ends up on that spectrum is really determined by two things: the level of control someone has. And the number of consequences somebody has from their behavior. So let me dig into that a little bit. So yeah. let's say somebody goes on vacation and they drink too much wine and they, or just the right amount of wine and they eat, you know, a lot of yummy desserts and so they come back, they're five pounds heavier and they're like, oh, this does not feel good when I put on my pants. So they, they do extra, you know, runs that week. They jog extra an extra five miles um, three times that week and they cut out sweets, boom, that five pounds is off. They're back to normal. No big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's somebody with a lot of control. When you head up the spectrum to the higher end of food addiction, somebody doesn't have somebody like me didn't have the, uh, the ability to course correct like that. So if I started eating and I gained five pounds, I went into this dark hole of like, life sucks, I'm miserable, where's the food? (laughs) So I eat more, you know, I eat more to, to run from the pain of what I just ate or the weight I get just gained, you know, and which makes no sense. Right. But that's, that's more of the emotional eaters psyche and mentality where we just go into this dark rabbit hole, you know, of eating and binging and, you know, just overdoing it and then trying to cover up the fat in our bodies with yoga, black yoga pants. And, you know, and, and it could be months before we pull out of the fog you know, that's somebody on the high end that's food addiction. So that's addiction. somebody with not very much control. Once they start, it's mm-hmm. hard to pull back. So me, once I start, okay, give me one Hershey's kiss and I'm eating the whole bag, you know, so I don't I have control. Stop. Like, it, yeah. yeah. So, so that's somebody doesn't have any control. It can't course correct. Can't just. Do- like, you know, oops, I'm gonna take these pounds off by some extra exercise. So, so that's what I mean by the difference on the spectrum of, of control. Now mm-hmm. let's talk about the difference of consequences. The person who gains five pounds and their jeans are a little tight is far different than the person who's been up and down the scale 10 times. You know, they've got baggy skin because of it. They've got health issues. They have autoimmune issues, you mm-hmm. know, because they've you know eaten so much junk, you know, and it's it's ruined their gut. You know, and so this is somebody who's really piling on consequences they have, you know, and the older you get, you know, and you're in that pattern of binging and then dieting and then going back to it, you know, the older you get, the more you have consequences that are physical, like joint pain, heart disease, diabetes or pre-diabetes, autoimmunity, you know, depression and anxiety. These are very much exacerbated by what we eat, the foods we eat, you know, what we're doing to our gut. Mm-hmm. Not to mention other consequences, like we don't want to have sex with our spouse, you know, we're like, that's a case closed there. We're not, we're not going there, you know, mm-hmm. we're grumpy with our kids because we've, we feel gross about our bodies and what we eat, you know, or we can't wait for them to go to bed because all we can think about is the, you know, the ice cream and popcorn we're going to eat later in front of the TV. So there mm-hmm. are so many consequences to this condition, mm-hmm. you know, of emotional eating that don't meet the naked eye, but you know, it, it has to be addressed because this is, it's seriously compromising people's happiness, their joy, and of course their health.
0: Absolutely. You know, I kind of saw that in my own path, you know, I, I got, I had a very bad yeah. autoimmune disease, lots of labels, you know, when I really look back, did I think I was an emotional leader? No, I was taught that what we're when we are have that addictive personality, what we crave, we're often allergic to. So absolutely, it ends up you crave bread, you probably have some sensitivities to gluten or wheat or something in the bread, you know? So I've seen that and yep. I was treated for allergies to that. So you're absolutely right. This isn't just about the emotions around eating. Um, it's about what happens in the body then as a result of it too. Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's All a cascading, uh,
1: you know- Yes, cascading consequences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like the way you said that cascading consequences. That's exactly what it, you know, what happens, Um, you know, so how can we and what are three things that you recommend someone does then to actually help themselves end this emotional eating pattern? You know, what can we do well What's I think thoughts? yeah I think the first thing is to really
1: you know I think anybody who's listening to your podcast is thank goodness they are and you know because just ha- hearing this conversation is going to change somebody's head a bit mm-hmm. you know the first time I heard about emotional eating was from my sister she came home I was like 15 years old or 16 years old she came home and announced she was an emotional eater and I thought that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard <laughs> but you know, the seed was planted. And Mm -hmm. after that, I started to notice, you know, there is something different about my relationship with food. Like I'll go out to you know, lunch with friends, they'll order a sandwich and it'll come with fries. They'll eat their sandwich and pick up their fries. I will eat my fries and not leave a single one on the plate and pick up my sandwich. And so (laughs) I started to realize there's something different about me and my relationship with food. And for the next several years, I started to realize, oh my gosh, like I, I do eat over my emotions. Like it's not just you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it's not just that I have a weight issue or a thyroid issue or something like that. I try to, you know, put blame on hormones or whatever, but I'm eating way more times than I need to be eating. And I'm eating for reasons that have nothing to do with nutritional need. Mm -hmm. And and I find that so many people are blind to it. So the first step is start starting to wake up and notice. And Mm -hmm. I want to give you something which is what I call the pep test for people to do, just to start tuning in. So, you know, I'm sure if anybody is a mulch leader, they have the experience of going to the refrigerator like five times of an evening and opening it up and just hoping something has appeared there. (laughs) You know, like there's (laughs) something that can satisfy that Uh something, right? Uh So next time you're going to the refrigerator and opening it and closing it, opening and closing it, um, I want people to take the PEP test and PEP is an acronym. And what it is, it's a way of identifying some of the primary emotions that do drive emotional eating. So, you know, we're used to thinking about what food's doing to us, but what we don't think about what is what food is doing for us. And what I mean by that is we are using it for emotional reasons. So what are those emotions? Well the pep um the first p in pep stands for painkiller. So we use food as a form of painkiller because we have feelings that are painful. Like we have emotions we don't want to feel. We want to, you know, just deaden. And and that's why we typically don't reach for lettuce and celery sticks. We typically are reaching for carbs, sugar, nuts, you know, things that are high calorie, high fat, high carb content, high sugar content, because those things deaden the pain, you know, they deaden the pain. They numb us out. We're feeling no pain for a little while, especially if we overeat on those things, which typically, you know, an emotional eater will do. They they start and then they can't stop. And so, uh, pain is a motivator, and there's all different kinds of pain: pain from a relationship that's not working, pain from a job that's dead end, and and you know we're just aggravated with, you know, continuing on with a job that's dead end, or pain from a, a sick parent, or pain from you know somebody who's ill. Um, or somebody who's, you know, maybe a child who, who needs, a, is, has special needs. So, you know, life is not easy and there are painful circumstances. And for emotionally eaters, there's a lot of things that even aren't even necessarily painful, but they, anything that brings up uncomfortable feelings, we've been deadening our feelings for so long. Like it started at a young age, typically, mm-hmm. you know, in response to trauma. And so we're in such a pattern, of just, you know, killing anything that might feel uncomfortable. Um, and, and of course you have to keep doing it. Um, you know, and so that's, that's one emotion pain. It's kind of an umbrella emotion.
0: I'm curious about this. I'm sorry. I'm really just thinking, as you're talking about pain, I'm thinking about some of the work that I do is actually releasing emotions and releasing trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. So great and i know you want us to talk about the e and the p so we still have to get to that yeah and i'm so curious like do you see uh, a specific or, or or one or two kind of core issues that you know create emotional eating for people like I, I do. Know, you got a time out when you were three and you had to eat your peas. You know, you were you had to sit at the table till you were done. I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but I'm very curious with the work you do. You get to see this every day. And because I oh, like at yeah. release those traumas, you know, are there specific like couple things that you see as sort of core issues?
1: Absolutely. And I'm happy to get to that. And I won't forget if you want me okay. to go back. I don't want I don't want to bug people by not giving them the the E and the P. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay.
0: Let's do the E and the T. I'll go there. I'll go there next.
1: I'll go there next because it'll be it'll it'll be the right next thing to talk about, in fact. So the E stands for escape, and we use food as a form of escape because reality, again, for us can be kind of daunting. You know, we also get overwhelmed easily. We have my my experience is overeaters or overfeelers. So we feel more than the average person. We're very sensitive. We're like a walking pin cushion. So everything just kind of feels deep to us. We we take it on. Mm-hmm. It cuts us, cuts deep for us. Um, and so we and we do tend to have more fear than your average person. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 that was certainly my experience, even though I didn't always look like I was afraid, I was very bold and outgoing. But underneath, I had a lot of fear, a lot of just free floating anxiety. So, you know, the pandemic has certainly, the reason why we all have so much, you know, trouble during this pandemic is all of a sudden our sense of safety was totally disrupted, where we could walk out the door and literally get sick and die you know, that is a very frightening reality. And that's why everybody was like eating all their stockpiled food because, you know, it was, it, it was really like, yeah. it really tipped us, tipped us over, you know, to have this pandemic, a reality we'd never been accustomed to. That was very un- felt very unsafe. So people were anesthetizing, you know, and, and checking out, uh, escaping the fears with food. And of course it's always the high foods that, that tend to kill that, you know, and, and, and numb us out. The last P is punishment. And this stands for, you know, and this is kind of counterintuitive because we think of food as a reward, right? Like, Oh, you know, I've worked hard. I'm going to get my favorite cake and ice cream and sit in front of the TV, but if you think about, you know, it, it for those who tend to go overboard, like it's not one piece of cake. It ends up in two or three or four pieces of cake, you know, and the whole pint of ice cream. And then you get have some salty with your sweets. So you get some chips, you know. So <laughs> before you before you know it, you've overeaten, you feel gross, right? And the next day your pants are tight, you're feeling bloated, and you don't want to see your friends, you know, or you don't want to turn your video on, on Zoom because of the bloat. And so that's really you know, it begs the question: like, I did that to myself. Why did I do that? Like, what's going on there that I would
0: punish mm-hmm.
1: myself with food? And, and for a lot of people, food is a form of self-punishment, a very abusive relationship. Um, and so my experience is because we feel so deeply, because we are overthinkers as well, overeaters are also overthinkers, because of that. We, um, you know, we tend to feel very guilty very easily. So we take on, like, we take on things that maybe we shouldn't take on, but we also beat ourselves up, not, not only for overeating, but for other things, like we, things that we've said or done, and we're just really hard on ourselves. And food is a great way to just kind of lash out and, and, and put ourselves through undo pain. And so, um, the three, again, the three emotions, or the, the PEP stands for painkiller escape and punishment. And the three emotions are pain, fear, and guilt. So just to kind of, you know, wrap that up. Um, yep. but it does awesome. like you, like you said, like what's going on, like, what are the deeper things yeah. I will tell you in my experience, um, Louise, that it's rarely just one thing, Okay. Cause okay. people were like, what's the one thing, let me go to therapy. Let me nail that thing, you know, or <laughs> go, you know, whatever, do what kind of, uh, what kind of treatment, you know, people want to do, but we're going to pinpoint that one pivotal moment in time mm-hmm. when we got all messed up, you know, <laughs> right. and, right. and there's no question that people who struggle with food and weight or any addiction, any addictive habit, typically have trauma in their past. I mean, it's it, it really goes without saying, you know, not everybody, but there's always something, or if it's not, you know, doesn't under the, the, the label of trauma with a capital T, it's something that did affect us and did change our personality. And that's really the key is that my experience is there, there is trauma in the past, but it's not, you can't just go to that trauma, unlock it, heal it and be done if you're an emotional eater. And the reason is because when we have trauma from our past As children, we're very limited in the coping tools that we have available to us. That's why we turn to food. Food's one of the few things we have available to us. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, fantasy, another one, masturbation, another one. We're very limited in what we can't go score drugs in, you know, downtown, you know, whatever city we're in. So we have to use what's available to us. Um, But also we have, there are ways in which we react to the situation as a survival skill, meaning these, the certain traumas, they they change our personality. For instance, if we have an alcoholic parent, you know, y- you have to deal with somebody who is erratic in their emotions, you know, violent oftentimes, or manipulative, or rageful, you know, and so as a kid, it's like you better contort yourself, you better become, you know, that chameleon to, to deal with that so that you can try to mitigate you know, your parents' rage or your parents' drinking or your parents' blacking out, you know? And so we have these personality traits that develop as children, but the problem is they, they're as children, they're survival skills, mm-hmm. but as adults, when we carry them into our adulthood, they become, you know, dysfunctional ways of being. So I bring this up because, because in my work, I show people, I have something called the anatomy of the emotional eater, which is 24 personality traits that make up the emotional eater's personality. And these are the traits time and time again, Mm -hmm. that I see not all 24. Like I, my, my clients kind of pick the ones that they most relate to, but usually it's, it's probably close to, you know, at least 15 to 20. Um, so I'm going to give you the top trait. Um, and that is people pleasing. So I've never met an emotional eater who wasn't people pleaser. And I was like the worst offender. And so bringing it back to the trauma, you know, when you have mental illness, when you have addiction in your family as a child, again, you, you better be a good people pleaser because you, you're going to try to keep mom from raging or dad from hitting or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you learn to please very quickly but as an adult, so it's a survival skill, like, thank God we have that ability, you know, to contort ourselves, to be, you know, a chameleon. But as an adult, it's a very dysfunctional way of being because as people pleasers, what happened is, and, and, and the reason why I'm talking about it is very related to food, even though it doesn't seem like it, is as I teach my clients, you know, to really watch for this trait because The pattern is because we didn't get a strong sense of ourself as a kid because of the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. If we didn't, if our parents didn't have it and couldn't give it to us, we didn't get it, you know? And so we're, we're dealing with this deficit of a strong sense of self And so we're out there trying to please people, hoping that we'll get, you know, again, we'll get filled up, we'll get validated, we'll get that sense of self, right? So we're always saying, I'll do the extra project, or I'll, you know, give it to me, I'll do it, or I'll, you know, I'll host the party, or I'll do my kids homework and make sure they get an A, you know, we're always doing things that really aren't ours to do but we're taking it on in hopes of getting those atta girls, right. At, or atta boys like, Oh, so, so good. So accommodating, always mm-hmm. pitching in to help. Like we love hearing that. It's like, Oh, it feels so good. You know, but the thing is it comes with a price, right? So when, yes. so when we're like running around trying to please people, we're exhausting our adrenals We're we're like knocking ourselves out. We're not getting enough sleep. And on top of it, we're kind of pissed off because nobody's ever as pleased as we plan on their being, them being, we mm-hmm. might get it. Oh, thank you. And they were like, thank you. Like, do you know, do you know what I just did for you? <laughs> and so it's like the, it's the perfect storm between the exhaustion, you know, and the resentment, you know, and feeling very unfulfilled in the end, that together is the perfect storm for what I all the uh, going home and having the, I deserve it binge, like, screw them. They're not going to recognize me. I'll at least reward myself. Yes, and that's, that's right. Yes, And that's how, and, and so what I really teach people is that it's really not an eating problem as much as a living problem. And this is mm-hmm. why 98% of diets don't fail. I mean, 90% of diets fail which is literally the statistic 98 percent of all diets fail.
0: Wow. That's the, that's not that crazy. That's really the number. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And we're yeah. talking billions of dollars every year spent on yeah. diets,
1: but it falls short because people are just addressing the eating. Like give me the diet, give me what mm-hmm. to eat. Give me the measuring cup and scale, you know, but they're not addressing their living and how they're living. If somebody doesn't address the people pleasing you know, and going all out, trying to get people to like them, they're going to be constantly stressed out, you know, burned out and using food as a supplement for energy. And so we really have to, you know, that's what you have to do. And I I bring all this up because it's so related to our trauma as a kid, but do you see how it's not like the, it's not, it's so much as the trauma, like the instant that you got messed up because Mm -hmm. on account of that instant, it spawns all these other traits that are just our coping tools that we bring into our adulthood. Those have to, It's a web, it's a really a web of living, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ways of being that we have to address for long-term success in weight loss, hands down.
0: Yeah. That makes so much sense as you describe that. Cause, cause the work that I do does release trauma and it mm-hmm. releases that at our brain soul level. And I often see the patterns. And so, you know, it's not one thing, but like, it feels like to me, it's more like a onion skin of trauma peeling. And it's you growing into yourself because if you felt invalidated somewhere, and we all have that, whether you have a food addiction or another addiction or no addiction, but we all have been invalidated. Even if it was your third grade teacher who just looked at you wrong, you know? So we all have had some kind of trauma with that. And, and the journey of healing food issues, it sounds like, oh, I love how you put together that PEP. So the pain, the escape, the punishment and the emotions that come with that, you know, we have, we have to heal you. It's an inner journey of finding your, your truth of who you are and validating yourself because maybe you didn't get it as a kid. Totally.
1: And there's other things like, um, not like emotional eaters, rarely express their true feelings. Cause again, it go, that goes back to peace, people pleasing also, but in order to have success in weight loss, we have to start speaking up. Cause I always say, say it or stuff it like it's one or the other you sure. know? And so, and so people have to learn how to speak up. So I teach people how to do that because people don't even know, they don't even know how to open their mouth and say what they really feel. Cause there's so much noise in their head. Like, Oh, I can't do that. What do people think? Or I'll be judged. Or I'll be rejected or it means I'm a bad person. And so it's like, we have to kind of relearn how, or learn for the first time, how to live more authentically in our lives. And then it totally plays out in the way we eat
0: it makes so much sense. It is a circle though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you've got to work with, it. well, you have to work with the whole person. It's those emotions and it's helping them get that journey back to, to who they are. Yeah.
1: yeah, and the nice thing is, is that, you know, so many people have failed at diets and feel like a failure, a failure because of it, you know, and, and, and feel like they can't possibly do another thing because they're gonna fail again and i always just remind them that the things you've done have have been symptomatic like you're dealing with a symptom of food and weight if you go deeper if you, you know you deal with the deeper stuff you know and self care is a huge part of it which emotional eaters aren't very good at either they're always so busy doing for others that they're not taking time for themselves but you know having a self care plan is so essential also because um you know we have to slow down we have to slow down and really give ourselves the care and, and relief from stress um, so that we don't stress eat. But it's just, it, 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 there are several pieces to the puzzle that have to be addressed. And if somebody hasn't f- succeeded diets, it doesn't mean they're a failure. It means that they're barking up the wrong tree. Like no diet's gonna work if you're an emotional eater.
0: Right. Wow. That's really, that's an important point. That's such an important point. I love that. Thank you, Tricia, for that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we've gone over those hidden causes. Um, how do we actually deal with those obsessive thoughts? Do you have any tips on that? You know, like, let's just say I have to go to the chocolate bar at three o'clock in the afternoon and it's a habit, you know, how, Yes. how can I deal with those emotions or what do you suggest and use with your clients on how to do that? Well, the key, again, it's, it's a
1: comprehensive solution, but the key, first of all, is maybe do that pep check. Like, gee, is it really chocolate? Like, am I really hungry for chocolate or am I hungry for something at a deeper level? And so much of the time, it's a deeper hunger. Like we're hungering for connection. You know, we need to pick up the phone and talk to a girlfriend or we're hungering for, you know, rest, you know, maybe we just are, you know, we're tired and we need to rest. Um, meditation is a, um, you know, I teach my clients how to meditate because, you know, and they're doing it like, they're actually like, we all know we need to meditate, but for, to overcome emotional eating, like you really do need to meditate. And so, um, my clients learn how to meditate. And so oftentimes that afternoon meditation, like just 20 minutes or 10 minutes, you know, of a timeout. out late in the afternoon because my my research shows that that's the hardest time like afternoon and evening 75 percent of emotional eaters have their hardest time at that time
0: you know Mm -hmm. and it's
1: because we're just kind of tuckered out you know and we need to take a time out to meditate to go for a walk to you know just read a book or listen to some music because we've been going 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 all day and so we have to learn these tools and we have to learn to really care for ourselves. And my experience is it's much easier to do in community with other emotional eaters because, you know, Mm -hmm. struggling with cookies is kind of a strange thing and not everybody understands it. (laughs) So if you're in community with other emotional eaters and all of a sudden, you don't feel so strange or different, you know, and, and they're really the nice thing is, they're, it's, it's really a vital part of healing, but it feels so good to realize you're not the only one who's done crazy things with food, or you're not the only one who's done crazy things to try to get the weight off your body. And it's like, we do actually in my group calls, we do a lot of laughing, you know, about the crazy things and the crazy thoughts we've had. So that's very nourishing as well, because you can't just remove the food again, back to diets and why they're ineffective is people are just removing, you know, they're, they're, they're basically removing their number one coping tool and nothing has replaced it. You know, they haven't they haven't developed any other coping tools. Sure. And so community meditation, self-care, you know, speaking up for yourself, these things, you know, modifying your schedule so you're not packing it, you know, and getting stressed out, these are all things that can help support us in having a different diet and eating less and cutting out sugar in our diet. Because if you just take all the goodies away you know, two weeks tops, and you're just like craving it, crawling the walls, and you got to go back to it. So the craving for chocolate, as we started talking about, Mm -hmm. isn't really just a craving for chocolate, you know, it's standing for a whole lot more. Um, And so I often tell people that you have to start your day, really by putting money in your spiritual bank account. Mm -hmm. So that when the cravings come later, you know, you'll under, you'll have something to draw on, you know, and take withdrawals from. So putting money in the spiritual bank account means starting your day with meditation or prayer or spiritual readings, you know, something that can really help ground you and feed you feed your soul, you know, Mm -hmm. and then later in the day, when your willpower is out, you know, when you're stressed because of the days, you know, activities, you can draw on the deposits that you've made. And without that, when we just bolt out of bed and start reading our email and texting, you know, we haven't taken that time with a morning routine that can really fill our cup, if you will.
0: Oh, I love that. My, my, I encourage all my clients to do that too. We do something called mind gems, which balances the brain and it takes like 12, beautiful. Minutes. it takes like four minutes to do, but it's a meditation, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Filling your cup, such good ideas, such great thoughts around that. You know, I know that you mentioned here too, you said there's a number one weight loss mistake we should never make. What is that? Yes, that
1: <laughs> in my experience, well, there's a couple of, I'll give you two. <laughs> I'll give you my number one, number two. Okay. Um, the, the first one is don't skip meals, you know, okay. which I know a lot of people are inter, into intermittent fasting right now, but for an emotional eater, it can be really triggering to try Mm -hmm. to fast, you know, and I don't recommend it. I recommend three meals with nothing in between, which is not an easy thing for an emotional eater. We're used to snacking and nibbling, but um, you know, when we fast um, it for an emotional eater, again, who's been dependent on food for a long time as a main coping tool, it can trigger a lot of like starvation fears and, and just kind of panic. Plus Mm -hmm. your body, it whacks out your body. Your body's not, you know, it doesn't, doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know when the next meal's coming. And so, you know, I always say, would you have your, you know, your five-year-old daughter, you know, fasting for a good part of the day for weight loss? No, (laughs) No. (laughs) like that's insane. Well, we have to... Right. We have to treat ourselves like we would our favorite baby daughter, like we have to be gentle and kind to our bodies and feeding it on a regular schedule, you know, again, and not snacking on carbs and nuts and sugar and chocolates all day long. You know, this is what we have to start to do is really treat our bodies with the respect that they deserve. And so a, a regular, you know, uh, schedule of meals with, you know, four or five hours in between each meal, you know, it just helps, you know, gets your body regular it in every way. And then it also helps your, you know, your little girl know that she's going to get fed, she's going to get taken care of, and she's not going to be overlooked, you know, so that is super helpful. And it cuts down on cravings. It cuts down on that panic that makes you just, you know, eat everything in sight, so so important. Um, so I'd say don't skip meals. It's a setup. And and emotionally eaters skip meals because they think they're gonna hack the system. Like, ooh, I'm gonna skip a meal and all of a sudden I'm gonna lose weight. But we always make up for it later. Like we don't forget, we don't forget the meal we skipped, you know, and we make up for it. So it's 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 a it's it's a you know, it doesn't work. And the other thing I'd say is put the scale away. Stop making it about the weight, you know, make mm-hmm. it about self-care, make it about mm-hmm. like loving yourself and and parenting yourself properly, you know, and the weight will come off. It's just so, so important to stop like, you know, really worshiping the scale. Cause if you give the scale, the power to make you feel good, guess what? You also give it the power to make you feel bad. So it's a setup for emotional eaters when there's it, when the number says something you like, you're like, "Wahoo! I've got some wiggle room. I'm going to have that chocolate cake afterwards after all, you know, and if it tells you something you don't like, you're like, screw it. All that exercise hasn't paid off. I'm going to eat, you know? And so it's just, it's a head game. It's just a head game. So I just recommend people, you know, maybe once a month weigh yourself, but just stop, you know, giving the, the scale that much power.
0: That's such good advice. And, and it goes right back to that guilt, right? What you talked about earlier that the P in PEP punishment, you know, creates that guilt. And so seeing the scale and whatever the number is, is going to create that, create that guilt. And that's, you know, that's not a healthy emotion. It's about loving yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I love the three meals a day too. Thank you for that tip. Um, I'm thinking back to what an acupuncturist taught me years ago. Um, is metabolic eating, really, and how important it was to eat three meals a day and that you're teaching your body, like you said, you know, that it can expect this, you know, and that when you do that, and you're not snacking in between, you're really feeding your body, your system. um, And it knows it can expect that. Um, And you do feel more nourished, and you can actually eat more food but it's healthy and all more salad. You can have more, you know, you can have more, you know, fat with that or whatever. It's just really healthy. Right. And you also start to
1: identify the emotions because when we're snacking all day, we're kind of numbed out all day. You know, I have people who tell me, oh, I'm not an emotional eater. I'm like, well, stop snacking and you'll find out, you know, like, like, because, The snacking is to keep the emotions at bay all the time if you have some hunger in between the meals, which kind of, you know, can freak out at first if you haven't had that, but it's so informative because all of a sudden, you can do the PEP, the PEP test, and you can start to identify oh you know, uh, I actually am feeling anxious because I have a phone call I'm nervous to make, or, you know, I'm kind of dreading doing my taxes, you know? And so you realize there are emotions underneath those chocolate cravings after all.
0: Absolutely. I love that. So just really identify and become unaware of your emotions. Um, you also said managing stress. You said, how can, you know, how can we manage stress before it actually drives us to the kitchen? So, like, and you're yeah, talking so about it important. Here. It's the awareness, but is there
1: another tip around that? Um, well, I just, you know, as I said, I'm a big proponent of, of slowing down um, mm-hmm. of meditation of, you know, offloading tasks that aren't yours to do, you know, like when we stop people pleasing and stop doing everybody else's job, it's amazing how much stress it, re- it relieves, you know, most of the stress in our lives. I mean, I understand there's, there's life situations that cause stress, a pandemic causes stress, a sick parent or child causes stress, of course. But a lot of our stress is self-created by that people pleasing, by wanting to be Wonder Woman. We, you know, getting our feel goods from the accolades we get, you know, going for that next degree that we really don't need, but we somehow have this deficit and believe that it'll make us more of a person than we than we are already. You know, coming to realize that we're enough as we are, you know, will cut down a lot of the of that that nervous energy of doing and overdoing that we fall prey to so often.
0: Wow. And as women, we do that. That's oh, just, yeah. In, yeah, it's just innately within us, right? It's that mom yeah. it's that mom call. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Do more, do more, be more, give more. Yes. Yes. And when you can give to yourself, you know, I learned that the hard way too. I had to crash, you know, to learn that if I didn't take care of myself, I couldn't take care of my kids. So Amen. I was gifted with that, you know, years ago. And so this is resonating so, so, so much. Um, I know our people are going to love this. I just have some quick, like more personal questions so they can get to know Tricia, right? So they can sure. get to know a little bit. Um, you know, so what is, um, what do you do in your downtime? What do you like to do when you're not working?
1: Well, I, um, I started dating a guy who is like this, who used to be a um, professional cyclist and I told him when we met, like when I met him on a dating app, at our first Facetime conversation. I said, because I'm just, I'm not a hardcore exerciser at all. Like I walk; that's pretty much my exercise. And um, and and so, and because I, I learn and I teach my clients gentle exercise only, like stop beating your body up. So mm-hmm. when I found out he was a cyclist and we had this Facetime call, I said, so just so you know that cycling hardcore thing, like not me. So if that's a deal breaker, let's just get it off the table now. So, um, and he's like, no, that's cool. You know, he kind of was sick of the intense women, the intense hard body women he was dating. So, so, but after six months in the summertime, I was in Maine, uh, with him, uh, and in the summertime, he was going out on these bike rides and seeing the beautiful countryside he'd go for like 30 40 mile rides he was seeing the beautiful countryside and the water and and all these beautiful things i'm like wait a minute i want to see i'm just at home like just working like i want to see these things So I bought a bike and now I'm a cyclist myself. So I'm not hardcore. We go for, I'm his recovery ride. So he goes, he does hardcore, you know, trying to make these trophies on his Strava app. But I, you know, I'm his recovery ride. And so we go toodling along, you know, 10, 15 miles or something like that. And it's just great. So that's a new thing for me. Um, It's very, it's, it's lovely it's really fun. And I forgot, like, I forgot how much I love being on a bike. Cause that was a big thing for me as a kid. It was one of my coping tools for my own trauma is to just get on a bike and get out, you know, just get away from the family. Um, so that was great. The other thing, I like movies. I like walking. I like the beach. I like to ski. I'm going skiing this weekend. So, so just, uh, yeah, some, just fun, like fun is my value. It took me It Mm -hmm. took me 50 years, to be honest, Louise, to accept that fun is my number one value in life. And, you know, I don't know why I was kind of embarrassed about that. Like I, and I was a goof off in school. I was voted class clown. I mean, I just somehow kind of felt embarrassed that all I want to do is have fun. (laughs) So, so now I'm like, wait, what's wrong with that? So now I'm just like, if it's fun. I'll do it. If it's not fun, I probably won't, you know, unless I have to do it, like my taxes, I'm probably going to say no.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. That's great. Your clients probably just love you. I mean, everything, you know, I always think the biggest healing comes when we're having fun.
1: Absolutely. Lots of laughter.
0: Yeah. Lots of laughter. Who have been some of your early mentors?
1: Like who? Um, Well, I will say, I mean, the man who helped me, um, his name's Roy Nelson. He helped me and he changed my life. I ended up marrying him. (laughs) So, um, but he, I learned, uh, I, I, and now I'm divorced, but, um, but note to self, don't marry your mentor, but, um, but anyway, I, you know, I learned so much from him and I quote him every day, you know, um, in my work. Cause I learned so much and, and he taught me so much. I'm very indebted to him. Um, but other people like, um, I think just women who have just sort of lived by their own rules you know i mean people who have just really become their authentic selves and nobody like any not big name people i just look for friends and people who i just see uh especially now that i am in my 50s i just i'm really inspired by people who just follow their truth and that's really what i'm seeking to do and teaching my clients to do is really Mm -hmm. you know, stop trying to be somebody or not, you know, really follow who you are, because who you are is enough. And for so many years, Louise, I thought I wasn't enough. And that's so much of where my problem came from, from the beginning is I just thought, who I am can't possibly cut it, you know, it can't possibly be right. There's so many people who know more and do more and, you know, score better on their testing and all this kind of thing. And, And I just, through the years, just realized, wow, like who God made me is amazing. You know, like why not be her? Like I'm this unique, beautiful being. Why not accept that? So that's been my journey is to really, it's so funny. It's like you spend your whole life trying to become who you already are. (laughs) (laughs) So anybody who does that inspires the hell out of me.
0: I I love it. That's great, Trisha. I know I've been on the same journey and said the same exact thing to myself. You know, why does it take us so long, just to appreciate Mm who who we really are? You know, we 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 came this way. (laughs) Thank you, God. Right? (laughs) Absolutely. You know, what advice would you give to another practitioner or some of the coaches that you're teaching, just starting out? Um,
1: yeah, for, yeah, I, I do. I work with health coaches who are just starting their businesses or some who have, you know, seasoned businesses and, mm-hmm. um, and having done this myself, um, well, I was just talking to somebody cause I have little groups that I meet with and we're, we're, you know, in a group or, you know, together as well. Um, and, um, you know, starting out is hard because you're, you pay a lot of money, like for marketing and and to get help and that kind of, so it's a big outlay. Um, and, and there's a lot of stress when you're doing it all yourself to begin with. So Mm -hmm. I would just tell people like it, it gets better, you know, it gets better. It gets easier. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was telling, I have a friend who's a holistic psychiatrist and she's just starting to build an online, you know, practice or, and online coaching more. been seeing clients in her office and she's stressed out and she's like, God, I, you know, I didn't plan on all this stress. And, and I just told her it gets better because you're not going to be doing it all yourself, you know? And, um, and, and also I would also tell people just, you know, follow your passion. Like, remember why you're doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your, why, what's your passion? You know, for me, I know one hundred percent that my passion and, and my gift from God is to is to help people with emotional eating. Eating, it's I'm on my dime when I do it, so it's not work, you know. But they all the other stuff around it is a lot of work. So you know, stick sticking with it, following your passion, remembering why you're doing it, and and definitely getting help so that you're not doing it all yourself. And you you know, a great piece of advice I got early on was you know. Um, delegate everything that again isn't isn't fun or isn't your passion or your skill set like delegate it out the sooner the better because it's it's terrible doing stuff that is like is hard and not not your skill set and so the more you can get help with that but of course take money so it's a balance but um, the more you can enlist other people who can do the things that you absolutely hate to do the more you can be in your essence
0: be on your dime and do what you love to do such great tips. Such great advice. That's so awesome, Trisha. You know, if you were going to give us your like number one brain hack, what would that be?
1: Um, I'd say be you. Be unapologetically you.
0: Beautiful. Wow. This has been so amazing. I have so enjoyed you know, speaking with you today and all those amazing tips that you shared with us today. I love, 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 love this. Um, I know we want people to go take that free quiz that you have on your website. So give us your website yes. again so people can find that.
1: It's healyourhunger.com, h-e-a-l, heal your healyourhunger.com, and it'll pop up and it'll take three minutes and then it'll get your personalized score and can
0: go from there. Oh, I love that. That's great. So you definitely want to hop over there and take that quiz. Um, so you can find out your score and if you're an emotional leader and definitely, you know, listen again to this, uh, to this podcast so that you can catch all those amazing tips that uh, Trisha shared with us today, just amazing information and tips on what we need to do
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also,
0: for people who are listeners, my book is
1: on Audible now. Um, If people are Audible, you know, list book listeners, it's heal. It's called Heal Your Hunger: Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. And of course, it's in you know book book form on Amazon as well. But for those who like to listen to books. I just spent this last summer, in between my bike rides, I spent time uh, recording the
0: book. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, so is it your voice on the book too? Yes. Oh, so great. Oh, that's yeah. so great. That's so awesome. Well, definitely hop over, get that quiz and get Trish's book and um, and learn how you can end this cycle for yourself, you know, and move forward in 2021 in a big, big way. Again, I thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's
1: been fun.